As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The first round of the MLS playoffs ends tonight. Jeff Reuter is here to preview Nashville vs. Orlando and Seattle vs. Real Salt Lake, and also a look ahead at an important Champions League slate. I'm Alex Abnos, and this is Soccer Every Day for Tuesday, November 23rd. Okay, there is Champions League today, which we will get to a little bit later in the show, but there are also MLS playoffs. And as of yesterday, there is now another MLS job opening in a pretty high-profile spot. Jeff Reuter, you, along with our colleague Sam Sam Stayskull, (laughs) one of these days I'll pronounce his name correctly on the first try. Sam Stayskull. No, it's okay. (laughs) Sam Stayskull, Joshua Cloak, and Paul Tenorio broke the news of Ali Curtis's exit from Toronto FC as general manager. Um... What was your reaction upon first hearing that this was happening? And do you think that it's the right call uh, just as a as an MLS observer? Yeah, I, I think, first of all, there had been some rumblings. I think generally when you look at a team and you see a team with expectations as high as Toronto FC now has for itself, this is not the Toronto FC of a decade ago, of course, for longtime followers of the league. You know, they are expecting to be in contention for MLS Cup every single season. And so when you see a, a year where they're actually challenging for a completely different trophy, namely the wooden spoon is MLS's worst finishing team and finishing in second place behind FC Cincinnati, you, you start to wonder how many of these people involved with that team are going to stick around. Yeah. Again, given the expectations of this club in particular, I, I think that you also look at Ali Curtis as somebody who had sick prior success both with Toronto FC getting them to MLS Cup, keeping them in MLS Cup, I should say, in 2019, and then also making the playoffs despite all the difficulties for Canadian teams in the COVID-affected 2020 season. But that being said, three seasons in, there had been some, some major missteps this season, specifically bringing in Jefferson Soteldo as a designated player, and he very much underperformed based on expectations, and then also appointing Chris Armas as the head coach, who was then also let go within the first third of the season. Uh, those are some pretty big decisions to get wrong, and so if there are other opportunities that could make sense for him and other opportunities or fits that could make sense for Toronto FC, the timing of it does seem pretty opportune to get it out of the way right at the beginning of the offseason. 
Uh, TFC also dealt with, I mean, they dealt with all sorts of things. They dealt with, as you mentioned, uh, pandemic restrictions. They were, of course, one of the trio of, the, of Canadian teams that had, even in comparison to other MLS teams, a very difficult existence in 2020 <laughs> and 2021, uh, where they couldn't play at home for really most of either year. Um, TFC also dealt with the departure of Greg Vanny after last season, uh, their longtime head coach. So how much of their struggles this season do you think had to do with those uh, acquisitions that didn't work out that you mentioned? Uh, and how much had to do with the difficulties of the pandemic and also adjusting to a new head coach? It's a bit of both, right? And often it's a convenient answer to say it's a bit of both. But I think that truly most people covering and following Major League Soccer haven't given full consideration to just how challenging the last year and a half have been for the Canadian teams. None of the head coaches who were entering training camp for the three Canadian teams finished the season with them. If you're looking at Thierry Henry, who resigned, of course, right the day before training camp, you're looking at Chris Armas, and you're also looking at Mark Dos Santos in Vancouver. It's been a very tumultuous year for them, but I think you also have to look at some serious underperformance. Yes, Alejandro Pozuelo uh, put in 0.25 non-penalty expected goals and expected assists per 90, but he also was missing for about half of the season. Yeah. Uh, Ayo Akinola got hurt, you know, no fault of his own, of course, but did miss significant time and only put in 11 appearances. Jefferson Soteldo uh, underperformed based on expectations. Josie Altidore was in and out of availability for selection, partly because of injury and partly because of being frozen out entirely for a portion of the summer. Uh, acquisitions who are supposed to bring in league experience to be able to continue at minimum making the postseason players like Nick DeLeon players like Dom Dwyer didn't perform up to expectations Michael Bradley maybe not necessarily the player you look at as filling the box score but there are some questions about whether or not he was able to do the job he has been doing for over a decade in the heart of the midfield so you are looking at a balance of players circumstance and coaching decisions that really put into this difficult season for Toronto but of course they are going to want to turn that around immediately they aren't going to want to go through a long-term rebuild and so then the, the question becomes how many of these players who were part of the team in 2019 2020 and 2021 who are still lingering in that locker room at and above the age of 30 are still going to be part of this next era of TFC soccer do you think this dismissal means anything more broadly for general managers in Major League Soccer? Like maybe that there's more pressure on them in, in certain jobs in certain locations? Because three years doesn't seem like a ton of time to me for a GM to be in a job like that. And maybe that's just years of following MLS talking, but where people <laughs> seem to stay in jobs for, for at least, they usually get at least four or five years to, to right. have a vision and see it through. Uh, do you think that th this represents maybe an increase in expectations in certain markets? Yeah, it does feel like it is much closer to what the old expectation was for head coaches, that you would get a start of a third season and then you'll see how you do, but it does take time. When you're a general manager, you're inheriting the bad contracts of your predecessor because often general managers aren't let go for good performances or aren't poached away because of a good performance. They're usually worth their weight in gold, and so they are given raises rather than being lost to other organizations. So then sometimes you will have contracts like a millstone around the neck of the club, and you will be trying to work through those over the course of two or three seasons. But this is the fourth general manager or sporting director who's been let go from an MLS club since the start of the 2021 season, looking at FC Cincinnati, looking at the Houston Dynamo, looking at uh, San Jose Earthquakes, yeah. and then now considering Toronto FC. It is, I think, 
a higher pressure job than it used to be in this league, but I also think it's a more prominent job than it used to be because of the success of several teams' academies, because of the success of the designated player rule, usage of TAM signing, or trades within the league as some teams are doing to great effect like Nashville SC and the Colorado Rapids. It does become a higher profile position where more people, more fans especially, of their teams know exactly who their general manager is. And I think that they also then have higher expectations for what they should be doing. And if you, in a league that has such parity and only had four teams have the same head coach make the playoffs for four consecutive years and that much oscillation in the playoff places, I think that you do expect that at some point it should bounce your way in Major League Soccer. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Jeff, what's next for Ali Curtis? He's seen around the league and known around the league as a smart guy. He obviously enjoyed great success at the New York Red Bulls as uh, the chief soccer officer there. Uh, he worked in the league office before that. Uh, what's, what's next for him? Uh, maybe a return to the league office. Yeah, we have our sources saying that he is in discussions with Major League Soccer to be a significant part of the upcoming third division league, the lower division league, the, the development league that they are starting uh, that will kick off in the 2022 season. Of course, he does bring considerable experience with the New York Red Bulls. Right at the time when they were starting to get much more out of their academy, he would have seen what worked to bring a player like Tyler Adams, like Matt Miazga, up through the ranks and make them successful professionals. And I think that that is some insight that could be valuable. Of course, there will be some questions about the same personnel cycling through MLS in these sorts of roles. Of course, the the initial stages of this LDL were spearheaded on a contract basis by Nelson Rodriguez and Jay Burhalter, two very familiar faces yeah. in MLS headquarters. So it is not a fresh perspective necessarily, but it's an experienced one. And I think that you look at the early successes of Toronto, you look at New York Red Bulls, and you say that Ali Curtis feels like he would be a good mind to have as you were trying to shape this league, whether or not there would be fresh perspectives that would make more sense up to debate. Maybe we'll, we won't even have that debate if this ends up getting over the line. It'll be really interesting to see what ends up happening with that lower division league. I'm sure that's a story that you'll be tracking and covering uh, very closely uh, once the offseason comes around. Uh, but we're not in the offseason yet. We're in the playoffs and we still have two more first round matchups to go after a little bit of a break. Jeff, uh, one of them tonight, uh, Nashville versus Orlando. Uh, we didn't talk too much about the Eastern Conference with Matt Pence a couple days ago. Uh, so let's talk about this game. I think it's an interesting one. And because we're almost a year to the day since that famous super crazy PK shootout that Orlando had against NYCFC, this feels like a game that might head to PKs just because these two teams are, I believe, first and second in the East uh, in terms of ties. Uh, first and right. third in the whole league. Uh, Nashville has the most with 18. 
Orlando is tied for se- for second in the East and third in the league with 12. Uh, what are you expecting out of this game? Well, it's also fitting because these two teams played each other three times in the regular season, and you guessed it, they tied all Ties? three times. Awesome. 1-1, <laughs> 2-2, one, 1-1. One, two, two, one, one. Uh, they've played each other very well. They're very familiar with each other. Uh, you talked about the difficulty, or Taylor Twelman talked about the difficulty right before the broadcast of Minnesota United at Portland Timbers, the difficulty of beating a team three times. It's very difficult when you've been so evenly matched for so much of the season. Uh, Nashville often has looked better than some of these performances. They Maybe I should rephrase that. They've looked like they'll be better in the playoffs given the way that they play. They set up with yeah. a very good defensive shape. They moved to three center backs early on in the season, and so they're very well drilled in being able to contain center forwards and wingers who are playing invertedly. Uh, they also do have some capable defensive midfielders. If you're looking at Dax McCarty, Anibal Godoy, uh, and Brian Anunga, who are, will be able to keep pace with Orlando City as they progress up the field. But the question with them has always been, who's helping Hani Mukhtar in the attack? Mukhtar, of course, a finalist for the Landon Donovan MVP award, rightfully so. Uh, Often is the case when you get more than a dozen goals and more than a dozen assists, you deserve to be in that sort of consideration. Yeah, he's pretty good. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty good, right? But they haven't gotten much from their strikers. They haven't gotten much from uh, Cadiz and they haven't gotten much from Ake Loba. And I think that if you look at Uh, what could set them apart or why did they draw over half of their games this season? It's probably because they weren't finding enough goals, right? If you're a good defensive team, you need to make up for it on the other side of the field to be able to turn draws into wins. It's not rocket science. And so I think that for Orlando City, the question will be, how are we able to penetrate through? How are we able to get Nani to be able to play as he was in the first half of the season, not how he was in the second half? Can we get anything out of Chris Mueller uh, at this point of the year? And, and, Ultimately, can we reclaim some of that playoff magic? They won't be afraid of a PK shootout. I mean, maybe they'll be more afraid if they have an actual goalkeeper between the sticks. Maybe there was a little bit of that (laughs) that Schlegel magic that made the whole thing just feel a little bit better for them. Uh, But if it gets towards extra time, they won't have any hesitation in being able to say, let's try to send a couple guys up there if our defense is doing their job uh, because Nashville's attackers have not done their job over the course of the 2021 season. If any newcomers to MLS are listening to the show and are confused as to what we're talking about in terms of the PK shootout <laughs> last year, I cannot recommend enough that you go back on YouTube and find the full broadcast of the NYCFC versus Orlando City PK shootout. Jeff, I've been watching MLS a long time. I know you've been watching MLS a long time. Mm-hmm. I have never seen anything in the league ever that was crazier than what happened in that shootout. And I'm just going to leave it sure. there because I don't want to spoil it for anybody that hasn't seen it yet. Uh, it's kind of like an episode of Mad Men, I guess. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it's just like an episode of Mad Men. It's just like There are ep- some Mad Men involved in it. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, that's for sure. Okay, uh, moving on. There, There is one more playoff game after that one. It's uh, Seattle Sounders versus Real Salt Lake. We talked about this a little bit with Matt Pence on the previous show. I'm curious if there's anything that in particular that you're looking out for this game. Uh, obviously, Freddy Juarez used to be in charge of Real Salt Lake, now on as on the bench as an assistant for the Seattle Sounders. Very odd to have this happen, but of course appropriate that as soon as this, this transaction was made, as soon as he moved from RSL to Seattle, I was like, they're probably going to meet in the playoffs and that's what's happening. So what are you looking for from this game, Jeff? Well, it, it, it does deserve to be mentioned that the fact that RSL is even in the postseason is a tremendous achievement, given the fact that they lost Juarez in the season, that they went through the season without an owner who wanted to put significant money into the club, which meant that their roster didn't necessarily get the sort of progressive moves that most MLS teams expect year over year. And they had some serious help uh, with a look-the-other-way handball call on Justin Merrim, which ended up leading to the one goal that put them 
over Sporting Kansas City on the day and put them above the LA Galaxy on decision day and the standings as a whole. Um, I don't think that they'll necessarily be a trendy underdog pick going into Seattle. Seattle is a team that really should have won the Western Conference. They really had several opportunities. They certainly started the season stronger than even the New England Revolution. They looked like they were going to be a supporter shield challenger and ended up falling behind the Colorado Rapids in the standings. The Rapids, of course, deserved what they got. However, for most of the season, the Seattle Sounders were squandering chances to really put that away before it became a three-horse race, with Kansas City being the third team involved. This is a chance for them to right their wrongs. They are a team that has more recent playoff experience than any other team in Major League Soccer. They have certainly fared very well, making it to MLS Cup, I believe, four times since 2016. They won't be afraid of having to play in this first round, and they will know that they will have sport in Kansas City and potentially bringing Kansas City to Seattle, waiting for them if they can get this result over the line. Um, I think it should be a better game than maybe the matchup suggests, given the 2-7 split and also how RSL got into the playoffs. The, the Freddy Juarez angle is certainly fascinating just from kind of a, a human philosophy standpoint. Who has the advantage? The former head coach in one locker room or the team that knows that, that, that they want to upset that head coach in the other locker room? Yeah. Uh, ultimately, though, I think it's very difficult to see Seattle being upset in that game, whereas Orlando-Nashville looks like it could be a bit closer in the Eastern Conference. If Seattle is able to win that game, it'll be their first win since October 9th, which is pretty crazy mm. to me. Jeff Reuter, thank yeah. you for coming on the show. Anytime. Elsewhere in soccer today, there are yet more allegations of misconduct by an NWSL coach, this time the Chicago Red Stars' Rory Dames, in a story by the Washington Post. That will be discussed in detail with Chicago-based reporter Claire Watkins on today's episode of Full Time with Meg Linehan. We'll have more on that story on this show later, but you can find Full Time wherever you get your podcasts. In the Champions League, the game to watch at 12.45pm is Manchester United vs. Villarreal. It's the first post-Ole Gunnar Solskjaer game. Michael Carrick will be in charge, and that group is still wide open with two games left. Villarreal and Man United are tied on points at the top. That game will be on Paramount Plus and Unimas at 12.45 p.m. All these times are Eastern, by the way. There are three games to watch at the 3 p.m. Eastern time window. All of them are on Paramount Plus. The first is Barcelona versus Benfica. Barcelona are two points ahead of Benfica and will probably wrap up advance- advancement to the knockout rounds with a win. Chelsea versus Juventus is the other one. That's the American Bowl. Weston McKenney versus Christian Pulisic potentially in that game, but unfortunately there's not a whole lot to play for. Both those teams are super likely to make the knockout rounds, so the pressure isn't quite on in that game in the same way that it is, for example, in Lille versus Salzburg. That's Tim Weah versus Brendan Aronson, so even more Americans, and there's lots to play for in this one. That group is really tight, but a Salzburg win would probably assure them of a knockout spot. Thanks for listening to Soccer Every Day. You can get ad-free versions of the show by subscribing to The Athletic, and you can get 33% off a year subscription by going to theathletic.com slash soccer every day. Thanks for listening, and happy soccer to you all.